Good Wednesday morning. Today is November 2nd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. This is the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Welcome, friends, listening on AM850 in St. Louis, online at kfuo.org, or as a podcast. Be sure to spread the word about our program to anyone you know who would benefit from a daily dose of God's word. And we give thanks to God for our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They translate and publish biblical and catechetical material for people all over the world. Learn more about their great work at lhfmissions.org. I also love hearing from you, and I answer every email I receive. So send me your questions or comments to pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Every Friday, I feature one of your letters at the top of the show. Well, in this episode, we are unrolling the scroll of James's letter to chapter 2. St. James covers two important topics in this part of the letter, the issue of showing favoritism and the necessity of living out one's faith by doing good works. Evidently, both had been problems in the early church as they are today, but here James seeks to instruct believers in a better way, rich or poor All people have access to salvation in the gift of faith that God gives us. Likewise, that faith is then best lived out in service to our neighbor. But wait, didn't St. Paul say that one is saved by faith without works? Is this a contradiction in Scripture? Well, with me today to help explain James's teaching here and to discuss how Saints Paul and James are not being inconsistent but in agreement with one another is my guest, the Reverend Jim Gabriel, pastor of the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in New London, Connecticut. Pastor Gabriel, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, and what a joy to share this time with you discussing the Word of God. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you. Uh, Our listeners do not know this, but they're getting ready to, that you and I know each other from when I was out in Connecticut. I spent about seven years in Connecticut at a congregation there, and I had the pleasure of meeting you while I was out there. Maybe you'd like to share with the listeners just a little bit about your story, where you come from, how you got to where you're at, and the ways in which God is using you today. Well, thank you for that uh, wonderful reminder. Yes, I just can't, you know, thank the Lord enough for the wonderful people he has brought into my life and ministry. Um, Actually, I originally come from India, and I've been a missionary at large for many years. And in the year 2014, you know, the Lord brought me into the LCMS uh, as a missionary at large, and then as a pastor of our Redeemer Lutheran Church, from 2016, and uh, and the journey still goes on uh, with, with the bold proclamation of the gospel in New London, Connecticut, uh, which is very much uh, a mission field, and uh, and we shared wonderful, you know, times in ministry, and I still remember doing uh, an outreach concert at your church, uh, raising some you know mission funds for our ministry here. So thank you very much for all your support. Well, what you guys don't know out there in Radioland is that uh, Pastor Gabriel is an accomplished musician, um, has some records, uh, was a, a 
if I'm not mistaken, a music producer, but he's just absolutely amazing on guitar. Certainly worth hearing. One of these days, I'm going to fly you out here to the tundra of Minnesota to put on a concert. I think that the people would really love that. Yeah, just anything else that you want to cover before we dig into God's Word? It is a great you know, opportunity for us to be called by the gospel, enlightened by his Holy Spirit, and to do good works that our neighbors need, you know, very, very much these days. You know, we live in a polarized world and uh, so much of hurts and frustration around. The brokenness is getting more and more evident and uh, uh, God is really like calling, you know, his church uh, to be the extension of his nail pierced glorified hands and feet and take the message of hope. Oh, amen, brother, especially this section here at the very beginning of uh, James chapter 2. It talks about partiality, and I think in the context of James, we're dealing with a lot of rich versus poor, that sort of thing, but uh, as we'll discuss, how often do we show partiality to people who don't maybe think like us or look like us or agree with the things that we believe? So I tell you what, before we begin, though, I'd like to invite you to start us off with prayer. Let us pray. A most gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful privilege that we could gather together as your own people, baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and that our old sinful man is crucified with Christ and his glorious resurrection to live a brand new life that you enable us to live through your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we read the Holy Scriptures and meditate through the power of your Spirit, strengthen and nourish your faith. And Lord, for those who have challenges believing, create faith in their hearts that they too may believe and receive these wonderful gifts that you give. We thank you and we bless your name. Through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we have finished with chapter one yesterday. And in that chapter, you know, we're introduced to the main concern of James, and that is faith and it being put into action. So he begins with uh, an, not an admonishment, but an encouragement to all of the Christians who were suffering for their faith that they should count it all joy, my brothers. That would be verse two of chapter one. Then he moves into the necessity to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and to be doers of the word, not hearers only. So James is speaking to people who are already Christians, and that's going to become important. But for us to chew on, why don't I read chapter 2, verses 1 through 13? It's about half of the chapter. This will be from the English Standard Version. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You here sit in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, and said, Do not murder, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Beautiful words, if not just a little convicting from uh, St. James here. Uh, my brothers, or you know, all those who have been gathered in the Christian congregation, show no partiality. Pastor, take us into this. Well, thank you, Pastor Bo. You know, these are very pointy words for sure. And uh, here, uh, Apostle James talks about uh, partiality that's, uh, you know, that we, you know, commonly encounter, you know, in our place of worship. And uh, many times the real problem uh, is not the problem, but how we react to it. And uh, Apostle James says that, you know, in verse number two, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. Okay, I would like to pause here, you know. Generally speaking, you know, if we encounter a rich person, you know, just getting out of his Porsche, you know, wearing fine clothing, walks into the church doors just by himself. We welcome him and there's no problem. Okay, this is just him alone. And after he leaves and we find a homeless person walks in through the same door and we have no problem. And the problem that we actually face is when both these you know, two people come together, you know, in the sa at the same time, then, you know, we have two options, you know, then we are, we are kind of in some sort of trouble. You know, it, it's like going back to, uh, you know, the, the garden, the garden, you know, when God created Adam and Eve and they had options and they had problems. So we tend to, you know, have problems when, when we have these you know, both people show, show up at the same time. And uh, that is our human proclivity. That is our, you know, brokenness there, you know, that, that just makes us feel tempted to go one way and ignore uh, the other person. Yeah, I think, I think I hear what you're saying because, you know, oftentimes people have made this to be like a rich versus poor thing. So, for instance, they'll say, well, all rich people are, evil or wicked. And, and even though James here mentions, you know, the, in the context of where he's writing that, you know, aren't these rich people, the same ones who are dragging you into court? 
uh, he is pointing out a little inconsistency, right? The wealthy people are coming into the assembly and want to be treated like royalty, even though they don't necessarily always treat the people very nicely. But but in this day and age, you know, we always think, okay, the rich are are somebody who uh, you know are, are automatically evil. But then when they come into our congregations, we might lavish over them in hopes that they will come and and contribute, perhaps. Or the poor people, we think, well, they've done something to be in their position, and therefore they don't they don't deserve a second chance. But if these people come individually into our congregations, there's usually not a problem. It's only when we're faced with the um, the choice, as you say, to to show preference to one over the other, and showing distinctions or preferences between rich or poor or really anybody, that's that's against God's character, isn't it, Pastor? I mean, that's not how He calls us to be. I, I think of Leviticus nineteen fifteen. He says, "You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge." your neighbor. So God is one who looks at us and doesn't see the the status that we have in this world, and we're called to not do that too. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's tough. Do you think that's something that, that still happens in the church a lot today? Do you feel that um, that people will still give a lot of uh, preference to, say, wealthy people who come into the congregation versus poor? Or do you think maybe it's even the other way around? Sometimes we focus so much on the poor, we think that the rich aren't deserving of the of the gospel. I don't know. I, I you know, I think it's all over. What do you think? I think uh, we need to, you know, look back of you know who God is. God is the Creator of all things, visible and invisible, and He made man in His own image, and He created them all equal, and He's He shows no partiality. And the scriptures affirm that, you know, in many, many instances. So we need to have a proper understanding that God is not partial and he created all people, you know, equally. And he has given gifts that are varied. Uh, and that is why, you know, Jesus also, you know, like, you know, always in his ministry appointed, uh, you know, to people that uh, it is not okay to show partiality uh, to people and kind of make the distinction, and that is uh, that is definitely not what God intends for His children uh, to live, especially the uh, the called and uh, uh, spirit-filled, born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But can we live a life free from these imperfections? I hope not. You know, because we are still not there yet and we still fall. We are still prone to failure. And that is why, you know, we need the gospel. That is why we need uh, the word and the sacraments to be strengthened and nourished in our faith. And uh, uh, that has to be the most consistent meal for us to be uh, well in body and soul, you know. So I, I would say that especially during this, you know, pandemic and all that, you know, that we had, we still see in the rearview mirror, uh, you know, we, we should never lose uh, the focus on the main thing, that is to fix our eyes on our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of faith, and who has died our death on the cross in our place. And he has given us, you know, forgiveness of sins and uh, life 
and salvation and all the you know good gifts that he gives us and um you know we we need to come again and again and to be fed by this wonderful uh blessings that god the father gives his children when i was thinking about the different ways that we show partiality today you brought up one that i i hadn't thought about um, first i was thinking about a lot of the um the rich versus poor but now you brought up the the pandemic or or the time when we were dealing with covid a lot and there was a lot of partiality being shown there too you know the people who would wear a mask versus the ones who wouldn't the people who received vaccines versus those who didn't feel like that was right for them. Uh, and, and there was so much division and dividing in the world that it went so far beyond rich versus poor. And in these later days, we've seen that that spilled over into politics, right? Now, there's always been division in politics, but now you know, even within the congregation, you have liberals versus conservatives, you have Democrats versus uh, Republicans versus libertarians, et cetera, et cetera. And so back in the first century, they're dividing themselves. In first Corinthians, Paul talks about, you know, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas. Um, so there's always been people dividing themselves in categories, you know, rich, poor, slave, free, man, woman. Um, in in a troubled times in our history, it's been white versus people who aren't white. It's now in these days, you know, liberals and conservatives, or or you know, people who are concerned about COVID and people who aren't concerned. So we always find these different ways to divide ourselves. So really, it's not just about rich and poor. This expands beyond that. That that as you've so rightly pointed out, we must look to God's character. He shows no partiality. And that's what he calls us to. But it sounds like you also, as you pointed out, we're really never fully free from that, from that, uh, you know, we always still struggle with it until Christ returns. Because even if we'd like to think, well, I, I never show partiality, that's not just true, is it? We might be driving down the road. And even though Paul, I'm sorry, James is talking in the context of the congregation, we still, we might be driving down the road. I remember this specifically. Um, in New London, where you are, uh, but maybe even more so where I used to live in Willimantic, you would go up to most of the intersections and there would be people with signs. And the first thing you do is start judging their situation. Oh, this person, well, they're, they probably have plenty of money. They make lots of money here at the corner. Or if I give them money, they're just going to go spend it on drink or whatever. And we don't think about what God wants us to do in those situations. I think that's that's very very true in what you just mentioned because uh, in the past month you know just before I could turn you know from the highway into you know our neighborhood there 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 is still a man who stands there with a sign but he seems to be wearing like brand new you know sneakers and his his jeans is like. It's clean, and you know he wears a designer hat, and he he's smoking a cigarette, and you know, and then trust me, you know, I I just was like battling with those thoughts. Is he is he really like in need of this support from people, or does he even you know merit you know my uh, my benevolence of you know in to any degree? 
while I forget that, you know, God has, you know, forgiven me, not because of my merits or my good works, but he has unconditionally pardoned all my sins through faith in his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And here am I, you know, battling, you know, in my in 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 the in my heart of flesh, you know, does he deserve this kindness? You know, I want to know the story, but you know, no matter you know how much information I have, still it wouldn't you know justify uh, you know my my struggles. It's 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 sinful. Right. But, and you know, I, I heard a phrase once from a pastor of mine, and it is, Jesus calls us to be soft-hearted, but not soft-headed. So if we do know that we're being conned, then there's no sin in saying, I'm not going to give in to that con. But perhaps we should think about it in a different way. If it only costs us $5 or a dollar to be able to have access to this person to witness to them about Christ, maybe it's worth that small price so long as we take the opportunity. So we could go up and say, hey, you know what? I'll tell you what, I'll give you five bucks, but will you give me five minutes of your time? And share with them you know, where they can get more help, but more importantly, share with them where they can have access to God's grace and his mercy. And that's where James is talking here. If you ignore the poor when they come to you and only favor the rich, then you're, you're missing out on the opportunity of serving all the people with the with the gifts of God, because you don't does we don't deserve Pastor Jim. We don't deserve the mercy that God has given us, and that's how he ends this section. Right, mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse thirteen: For judgment is without mercy to those who has shown no mercy. And isn't that true? When we stand before God and we've refused to show mercy to those around us then we should not expect to receive mercy. In the same way that he tells us that we should um, pray and forgive others as, uh, as uh, sorry, ask for forgiveness as we have forgiven others. You know, God wants us to demonstrate the faith, uh, our faith out in the world to demonstrate what he's shown to us by, by living out for others. Yeah, and uh, I have to tell this story real quick. I don't want to dominate the time, but... When I was just had joined the Lutheran Church, this is another story about my dad down south. Um, he had done a program wherein he was the innkeeper during Jesus's nativity, and it was at our congregation. But the introductory to the program was that he would show up uh, unannounced. No one knew that he was going to be doing this uh, skit, basically, for in the program. So he showed up as someone who was uh, was homeless. So he parked his truck way down the road, and he dressed in such a way that looked as though he was homeless, and he just sort of wandered around the parking lot of the congregation, essentially waiting for someone to call him in. And so they did. They see him out here. I'm inside, and I'm hearing all the parishioners. They're whispering. They're like, wait, there's some guy outside. There's some guy outside. What should we do? And eventually, someone goes out, and they and they say, well, come in. Please come in. We, we're having a meal before the service. It was like a Wednesday Advent service. Come in. We're having a meal. And so they come in, and they give him a plate, and they're very generous to him, with the exception that they put him in the far corner, and sitting right next to him or near him is uh, is someone who's basically keeping an eye on him, lest he kind of you know, do something to the other people. Now, that's sort of a, this balance between, I suppose, 
being soft hearted, but not soft headed. You know, they're, they're being cautious while at the same time giving him the things that he needs. But at the same time, they are treating him differently than they would have someone who was wealthy, who walked in off the street. And that in and of itself was sort of the point that was made in the, in the, in the skit that dad would later do and reveal himself. So the point here is that even despite all of our teaching, all of the things that God has led us to do, yeah, we still tend to show partiality. St. James here warns us against that. That's perfectly right. Thank you for sharing that wonderful story. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, yeah, I can just picture that, you know, in, in, in many places. And uh, that's why Apostle James in verse 9 very clearly says, but if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. He's not pulling his punches. You know, he's just speaking things to our face, and which is a good thing. First verse 10 right after that is, is even more convicting, I think. Uh, for whoever keeps the law, the whole law, but just fails in one point is guilty of all of that. For those who may not know, explain what that means, Pastor, because it's 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 pretty scary if we if we think we're trying to achieve salvation by means of the law. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, especially in my culture back in India, uh, they do good works. You know, they think they can earn uh, their merits before God through their good works. So they spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars in feeding the poor, maybe like one or two occasions, you know, during the year, or they go to some orphanages or to some nursing homes and, you know, build something or do something. Uh, but, you know, but still, you know, they, they, they miss the point that, you know, all the good works amount to nothing. And there is a big temple in South India uh, where, the, the really rich people I'm talking about, they, they bring 22 karat gold, you know, jewelry, and they there is a weighing scale. They go stand on top of that, and if a man weighs probably, okay, a good-sized man, like 170 pounds or 180 pounds, and then uh, uh, the priest in the temple would say, okay, you weigh 170 pounds, and you know what? He'll, he'll give an, a, an offering of gold equivalent to his body weight. And it goes into the temple treasury, you know, to a false god. And, you know, to me, that is heartbreaking. You know, how much, you know, you know, it's, it's money is wasted. And, you know, out of ignorance, the blindness of their hearts that, you know, that is why... I think that, you know, missions are a big deal. You know, every mission dollar is a big deal for such people to know Christ, you know, his incarnation, his bitter sufferings and death on the cross, his glorious resurrection, and, you know, his second advent is coming to judge both the living and the dead. You know, the, the whole counsel of God, the whole Full gospel needs to be preached, you know, to people who live in such, you know, contexts in, in countries like that. I just gave you an example, but there are many others in different parts of the world. Uh, so I'm a big proponent of, you know, 
mission, you know, work and mission teams. And I know that you also had been to Haiti, uh, you know, as a missionary supporting the local church there, uh, which is a great, great endeavor. If we think that we are going to gain salvation by works of the law, then if anybody could, it would be these ultra-wealthy people who, like as you described, are going and and gifting above and beyond. Um, of course, we could question whether their gifts even make it to the poor and those who need it. But even if they do, while that's valuable in terms of serving your neighbor, which is good things, it's not how we are saved. And so in this text, he he makes that clear that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point you know, then it's just as if you didn't keep any of it. So, so James makes it clear that we cannot save ourselves or be saved by keeping the law. That's super important because of what he says next. What he says next is, what good is it if someone has faith but not works? So that's important. Keep that in mind, dear listener, as we go to our break, because you might be tempted to think that he is in contradiction with St. Paul. He's not, and we're going to explain why, but that'll be after these short messages. So we will see you on the other side. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Jim Gabriel, pastor of the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in New London, Connecticut. Well, Pastor Gabriel, before the break, we were talking about all the different ways that a partiality is shown. We talked about keeping the law but failing in one point of it condemns us. So, so St. James is extremely clear here that no one is saved by their good works or even by keeping of the law because they can't. But he couches that with the reality, though, that we must still show mercy to others because the mercy God has shown us, we don't deserve. In this next section, he's going to talk about good works being necessary, and people often get confused by that. So we do need to dig into that. Is there anything else you want to cover, though, before I read the rest of the chapter? Uh, well, I think, Pastor Boo, you you just said it perfectly well. And I think uh, uh, we can read the scriptures and go from there. Let's do it. This is going to be verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. 
You believe that God is one? You do well, but even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, uh, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And that ends the chapter and our text. So, wow. So we see here a lot of stuff going on. Um, Can that faith save him, he says. Later he says, you see, we are saved uh, uh, not by faith alone, but uh, by works. Uh, Wow, that's some pretty contradictory statements if we don't understand them rightly, because St. Paul speaks very clearly that we are saved by faith and not by our works. Uh, What's going on here, Pastor? Well, uh, rightly you mentioned, it can be misleading if we don't pay attention. Uh, So here, Apostle James says, you know, in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So let us pause and see what kind of faith is he talking about? He is talking about the faith, uh, you know, in obedience to the gospel, that the faith, you know, that's given to a believing child of God, you know, through baptism, you know, through uh, faith in Christ Jesus. You know, it is a gift of faith. Uh, and uh, so Paul, in, you know, talks about that. You know, James was talking about, you know, obedience to the law and the obedience to the gospel. These are the two different, uh, you know, distinctions both uh, the authors were talking about. Uh, so definitely, uh, you know, both are important. And uh, this faith in, you know, the works of the law, can that faith save him? The answer is no. And he even goes on to say that if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You know, many times, you know, our liturgy, and it sounds like our, you know, the closing words of a liturgical service, you know, we, we always say at the end of the service, go in peace and serve the Lord, right? And uh, what about, you know, that person, you know, who's really struggling, you know, in her life, you know, trying to make ends meet, you know, as a pastor, you know, I know people pretty well and, uh, you know, how I am encouraging my parishioners to show this kind of love, you know, in action, faith in action, uh, you know, to be generous towards that person, you know, a brother or sister in the congregation. You know, it matters a, a lot, you know, to me as a pastor, um, 
you know that 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 is a very very important thing that uh, brothers and sisters in faith should love one another should get along you know well with one another because when you come in front of the altar rails to receive the true body and the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, we come as forgiven, you know, children of God, but at the same time, you should also remember, you know, the Word of God also reminds us, you know, if, you know, you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember uh, your brother has something against you, you know, leave your gift, don't even bother, pause there, go back. You know, fix that relationship issue, you know, that emotional issue, and then come back and then offer your gifts. So that is why a lot of, you know, people in the world are, they say, yes, Jesus, yes, church, no. You know, and a lot of, you know, people even right. just say that, you know, you you know, you're a bunch of hypocrites, you know, you, you say one thing and you act in a total different way, you know that calls for repentance, that's call, that calls for a genuine confession of our sins to God and allow, you know, God's Holy Spirit to do the sanctifying work of changing us from the inside out. And I think that is sometimes a, a very valid complaint that Christians will go and they will proclaim the gospel, they'll proclaim the need for forgiveness and how they've been changed by Christ and then they'll go out into the world and they'll act like every other worldling. And I, and I do believe that that is the essence of what St. James is saying here, right? So can that faith save him? You used a phrase which is really important, and that is faith in action. So James is not saying, hey, listen, go out and do all these good works, and if you do enough good works, you'll be saved. Paul says the same thing. It's not about keeping the law. It's about having faith in Christ. James is simply picking up where Paul left off and said, okay, if you want to know whether or not you have true faith, that faith is going to be active in works or active in love, faith in action, as you said, Pastor. And he's not the only one. You know, when, when James mentions, you know, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, you know, John says that, 1 John 3.17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So John's talking about it in the context of love, and James is talking about it in the context of faith. So it's not as though we are saved because of our good works. We're saved because of our faith, but saving faith will produce good works. Now, Again, with 15, brother, it says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but this doesn't do anything for them. He says, what good is that? I think it's a great example because we often will do that in, in terms of prayer. Somebody will call and they'll say, oh, you know, I have this need. And we go, okay, well, I'll pray for you or I'll put you on the prayer list. And while prayer is certainly commanded and beneficial, uh, and you know is powerful because God has the is the power behind it. Uh, God still gives us and equips us to actually do something to help these people. So so prayer is necessary, but so is actually going out and helping them fulfill their needs. And, I, and that's the sense I get here. And that's all he's saying. That faith actually literally says it. Seventeen faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So there's two types of faith. The type of faith that doesn't produce any good works, which is not real faith, 
or the faith that St. Paul says saves, which St. James explains, produces good works. So in this next section, Pastor, he, he gives this straw man. I shouldn't say straw man. He gives this uh, example from someone. He, he makes them up, but he, he says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then St. James says, well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Isn't that what it's about, Pastor, about putting our faith into action, as you said? And then he goes on to say, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe. How many people out there say that they believe in God, just like the demons, and yet their faith is not producing good works? You know, I'm just, you know, beginning to wonder as you just read, you know, these scriptures, you know, like you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You know, I'm just wondering, you know, where do we lose this, you know, this translation part, you know, uh, why the rubber is not meeting the road, so to speak. Why is this problem, you know? happening over and over again we know that we need to you know do good works because our neighbor needs it you know we are, we are saved by faith alone uh but we're also like that's the evidence of true faith you know our our salvation uh so i think you know practically speaking uh faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of god right so people come as Christ believers uh, in t as an ecclesiastical community on a Sunday or a, a midweek service or a Bible class, and they, they listen, uh, and it's sacramental in nature, you know. Uh, uh, the living, breathing uh, Word of God enters uh, the physical years of the hearer, enters into the heart, and it, it does its work, uh, you know. And uh, But... After they leave that place, they go back to their environment or to their homes or to their vocations. You know, it is a total different context and they hear other voices and they hear other words. So here, my question is uh, that is word of God powerful enough to keep them? And the answer is yes. But at the same time, we also need to understand uh, that, you know, Jesus also reminded us that we have a real enemy, the enemy of our soul, whom, you know, Jesus won a decisive victory on the cross through his, you know, death, you know, through his resurrection. And uh, that that is a gift to us. But he's also actively working whom he can, you know, trick or devour. So, it, it can come through those voices, can come through media, you know, television or a talk show or, you know, scrolling the phone, you know, aimlessly. And these can come as a hindrance for the word of God to grow in a person's life. So I always make sure that we don't, you know, like let any other voice overpower the voice of God or the word of God, you know, that we have received as a good seed into our hearts so that, you know, it can grow and bring forth its yield. Yeah, because when we're talking about showing our faith active in our works, the question is naturally asked, well, how do we do that? What does it look like? And so a desire for God's word 
is part of saving faith, and being in God's Word is a good work. In the same way that God does these good works through us to serve our neighbor and to help us, you know, I, I always imagine that, um, you know, when whenever we are doing anything according to our vocation, so say when a mother or father changes their baby's diaper, this is God reaching down and changing that baby's diaper, right? It's God serving others through through us, and so we're instruments of God, and this is why uh, having our faith be active in works is so important. And for those who do not desire that, for those who do not desire to learn more about their faith or God, for those who do not desire to be in worship or don't desire to help their neighbor, then those people have to, you know, examine themselves. You know, what does my faith mean? Am I just acknowledging that there's a God? You know, and and St. James says, well, yeah, the demons acknowledge there's a God. Even the demons acknowledge there's only one God. You know, so, so we cannot just be Christians in name only. But we must examine ourselves and say, is my faith active in good works? So Francis Pieper, who was a 19th century Lutheran theologian, he writes in his dogmatics that you know works serve several different purposes, uh, and the first of which is to serve our neighbor, but the second of which is a token of our salvation. So when we do good works, it's not what saves us, but it gives us assurance that our faith is alive and active. And so it's for our benefit as a token of salvation. And so where people stumble is worth with verse 24. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And you ask, right, where was the disconnect? I think one of the disconnects happens with the Reformation and with us Lutherans, I'm afraid. Because during the time of the Reformation, the pendulum regarding works and faith had swung so far that the what was being taught was that you had to do good works in order to supplement your faith, in order to earn salvation. And the Lutherans uh, came across, the Reformers came across, the, the Protestants came across and said, nope, nope, that is not what the Bible says. But because works had been sullied with the notion that this is what's required for faith, the pendulum began to swing all the way to the other side, and now good works are bad somehow. And so we as Lutherans for the past 500 years have been preaching from our pulpits that you cannot work your way into heaven, that we've failed to notice that no one's trying anymore. No one's out there struggling with trying their hardest to keep all the law of God in order to earn their salvation. So the pendulum has swung too far the other way. We have to return it to where the Bible is as we're reading here. So when he says a person is justified by works, not by faith alone, in this context, he's not talking about the justification of God declaring us righteous like Paul was. He's talking about when people see us us, when we go to demonstrate our faith, we demonstrate it by our works. There's no other way to do that. And so if you want people to be just, you want to justify that you actually have faith before the world, then it's by your works. God knows you have faith. He's the one who gave it to you. But what do you think about that, Pastor, about the the pendulum swinging? You You, like I, have come from a different tradition into the Lutheran faith because well, I think God called us, but we're also convinced by the clarity of the confessions. But at the same time, you know, because we're from the outside coming in, maybe we see this more than our some of our fellow Lutherans do, that we're, we're too busy preaching 
that you can't work your way into heaven, we've lost the emphasis on the necessity for good works. The, the person who comes to mind uh, from my own, you know, cultural background was uh, uh, Mother Teresa, you know, who served the poorest of the poor in Calcutta uh, in the eastern part of India. Uh, she was a Catholic nun, you know, who came to India when she was like very young in her teenage years. And then she started to work in the slums where, you know, she started treating people with this uh, gross disease, you know, leprosy, uh, where people were ostracized and excommunicated. Uh, uh, and uh, she started serving, you know, for many, many years. And and I'm sure everybody, you know, you know, knows about, you know, her service and her story. So powerful, uh, you know, and uh, she she made this quote, you know, uh, maybe I'm paraphrasing it. Uh, she said, you know, show love to people and, uh, you know, if necessary, use words, you know, love, you know, through your actions. So which she kind of, you know, personified in her own life, through her own life, uh, that, you know, all her critics, you know, who even just told her that, oh, you have come to propagate Christianity and, you know, you use this as some kind of uh, uh, a means to forcefully convert people, and you know, through this. But, you know, she was very clear in what she had to say. Uh, so I think that, you know, like we always say, actions speak uh, louder than words and uh, words speak louder than thoughts. And uh, now here we are struggling with our thoughts. You know, that's how we began this study about uh, we judging, you know, the uh, rich and the poor, you know, in our mind, in our thoughts. Uh, and even though we may not say outwardly, uh, openly to, you know, offend somebody, um, but in our, you know, you know, mind and our thoughts, we struggle. Uh, but again, coming to this point, yes, good works are, you know, are definitely a token. You know, it's it's a clear demonstration of true faith is all about uh, in a person's life. You mention a Mother Teresa who's been canonized by her church, so I guess we can call her Saint Teresa according to their standards. But yeah, she did so many good works. Uh, um, you know, I wish I could ask her the question of whether or not she believed that her good works are what saved her or her faith in Christ convinced her or caused her to do good works. Um, maybe people who are experts in her her speeches and writings would know so. But she did focus on love, as you pointed out. And is that not really what James is talking about here when he says good works? You could almost replace good works with the word love, right? We love others by putting them and their needs ahead of our own. So um, I, I looked this up. I don't know this off the top of my head. But in 1979, uh, Mother Teresa received the Nobel Peace Prize for all the good work that she had done. And when they asked her about it, um, she was asked, what can we do to promote world peace? And she said, go home and love your family. That's a very Lutheran answer, if you ask me. And she also said in her lecture, she said, around the world, not only in poor countries, but I found the poverty of the West much more difficult to remove. When I pick up a person from the street, 
hungry, I give him a plate of rice, a piece of bread, and I have satisfied. I've removed the hunger. But a person who feels unwanted, unloved, terrified, the person who's been thrown out of society, that poverty is so much, and I find that very difficult. The context being that, you know, some of our temporal needs, like being hungry, are fairly easily satisfied for the most part. But it's these spiritual needs, these emotional needs that really can only come from, from Christ and, and what we have to offer. It really, it really is, is something that is a little bit more difficult for us to do. So to bring our conversation full circle, we began talking about the people who stand at the corner down in, in New London or Willimantic or in cities around the world. And we say, you know, we, we often be so judgmental about those people. But removing, say, someone's hunger is pretty straightforward. But what people should have equal access to, without question, is the gospel of Jesus. And by showing our good works, as James tells us that we should, then we are, we're getting opportunities to share that love of Jesus with others. So Mother Teresa is going out there, was going out there, not because she definitely wanted to make sure that no one was ever hungry again, but because by feeding the poor, she now had an audience to share the love of Jesus. And I think that is ultimately the message, and I'm glad you brought her up. Yeah, for that, she was even like criticized and persecuted in spite of all these marvelous, you know, ministry of mercy she she uh, extended to so many people, you know. And they said that, oh, you were actually giving them Jesus, you're making them Christians. But that was not her whole point. But, you know, she knew, you know, satisfying a person's hunger or uh, addressing the wounds of, you know, a, a leprous person is, is important. But she also realized what's more important is giving them Jesus, you know, who alone can forgive sins and uh, give people, you know, the hope of eternal life. You know, the one who defeated sin, death and the devil on the cross is the real answer to the problems of our society, uh, this broken world. And if we were to take our faith, the same faith we confess on Sunday through our liturgies, through our creeds, um, and put those into action, obviously guided and enabled by the Holy Spirit, obviously according to the third use of the law, right? The Holy Spirit gives us God's word and instruction and law to guide our lives. Are we going to fail? Of course. Are we going to still fall into sin? Yes. But that's the mercy that God shows us which reminds us of the mercy that we must show others. Brother, we're, we're right here at the end of our program. We only have a few minutes left, but I'd like to give those few minutes to you. Uh, give a message, a clear message of gospel to our, to our listeners, something that they can take home with them and maybe even share with their neighbors. Thank you, Pastor Boo. I think the, the whole you know, study of this uh, James chapter 2 uh, can be put in a nutshell is that we're not debating whether we need faith or whether you know we need good works and uh, faith is the root and uh, good works are the fruits so both are necessary you know one is you know hidden and one it's very outwardly visible so god wants us you know as baptized people of god baptized into Christ, 
uh, we are to have faith in Christ Jesus. You know, that is our sure foundation on which, you know, we stand, our church stands. And as an evidence of our true faith, we do good works to our neighbors in, in small ways, you know, small things done in great love, you know, goes a long way. And I've seen that in my own humble experience, uh, you know, to many mission trips to villages in India. People are so very appreciative of those little things done in great love. And that makes Jesus shine through our own lives. You know, as sinful as we are, as broken as we are, still the light of Christ shines through us. And uh, that has a greater impact uh, than anything else, in my opinion. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Jim Gabriel, pastor of the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in New London, Connecticut. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. It was great to catch up with you. Thank you, Pastor. It was such a joy to be with you and share this time with you and the listeners. And uh, have a wonderful rest of the day. And uh, the Lord's uh, presence and blessing be upon you and uh, all the listeners. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tomorrow, we unroll the scroll just a little bit further to chapter 3, and we hear about how we must tame our tongues. Well, that's going to be with the Reverend Tim Heineke, so don't miss it. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word.